In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. We read John 3, 3-5, and this is a text that in the King James has a couple of points that I want to emphasize. And it involves a fellow who was a leader, a religious leader and a teacher in Israel by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus will later appear in the life of Jesus after his, re after his death on the cross. He'll, he'll, uh, he will be one of the two men that came to bury Jesus after his death on the cross. But here we have him, and he's a teacher in Israel, and, and uh, he's, he's asking Jesus for some information. Basically, he, he is approaching, and he, he's telling him, Master, we know that you're a teacher come from God. And then he, then he makes a, a statement that is flattering, flattering to Jesus. And Jesus replies by saying, if a man, a man must be born again if he wants to see the kingdom of God. And then he said a man must be born again of water and the Spirit before he can enter the kingdom of God. So he makes two statements. One is, he said, you can't even see the kingdom unless you're born again. Then the second statement is, you can't get into the kingdom unless you're born of water and the Spirit. Now, in order to, to fully appreciate what Jesus was saying, we, we, of course, we are looking back on this situation instead of forward to it. And we're not like Nicodemus. We're not in the dark. We, the light of the world has come and we, we know what, what has happened and we know what Jesus has done. And we also know that the place of the kingdom is within a man's heart within a person's heart that's the throne room of God your heart so when he's saying you can't see the kingdom and you can't enter the kingdom that means that there's there's something keeping Jesus out of your heart something there and he's saying and if you're born again then you can not only see it you can enter it now that comports with a statement made in Luke chapter 17, and verse 20 and 21. It says, When he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. So that, that's pretty apparent, isn't it, now to us. He's saying, You're not going to see the kingdom coming because the kingdom comes into your heart when Jesus comes into your heart. So it's not something you can see approaching like you would see an invading army. He said, it comes not with observation, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. That is, it's in you. It's in your heart. Now, two things again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. And he said earlier, in Luke chapter 8 at verse 10, he told some listeners, he said, Unto you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, 
but to others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. So there was a class of individuals who could not see. Could not see. Couldn't see the kingdom. Couldn't understand the kingdom. Matthew chapter 13, verse 16 and 17, talking to his disciples, he said, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Okay, so the qualifications for seeing the kingdom and entering the kingdom are two. You must be born of water and of the Spirit. That's what he said. So that, that, has, to, that has to take place. Now, we consider the, the entrance requirements to the kingdom very, it's very easy to see, isn't it? When he talks about being born of water, he's basically talking about being baptized. So, this is part of the initiation process. The way you come into the kingdom is through water and the Spirit. So the water part of it is, of course, when we're baptized into Christ. We're born again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The water part, of course, is in baptism. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when the people asked the question of Peter, when the kingdom was first mentioned to them on the day of Pentecost, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's water in the Spirit again. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, know you not as many of us have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we being buried with him by baptism into death, we rise to walk with him and we become dead to the law and dead to the world. We rise to walk with him in the newness of life. And in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 21, it says the same figure whereunto baptism doth also save us. Not the washing of the water by the word, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And in Hebrews 10.22, our bodies are washed with pure water. Our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience. So... Washed in the blood of Christ, washed with water. That's when we know that we have the, the first step here that he's talking about when he says we're born of water and of the Spirit. The second part of the Spirit is the one that's a little more difficult to get, get your hands on, to get a hold of. He's talking about somehow the Spirit of God is going to change our spirit into that of an infant. That's what he said. Born again. Now, Nicodemus asked the question. He said, how can a man who is old enter again into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of a spirit is spirit. So he's talking about something happening to you as an individual, your spirit, your body, your body is washed with pure water in baptism. That's simple enough. That's the starting point. Actually, at that point, you're just taking all the garbage that you've accumulated in your life that's called sin, 
And Jesus is saying, I'm tossing this out. You're going to start all over again because I'm going to forgive all of that. That's no longer in the picture for you. But what is in the picture for you is that you have to start all over again. Born of the Spirit. Now, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 5, when the disciples are arguing the point, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Now, obviously, they did not understand the kingdom. And people didn't understand it for a long time. But Jesus is explaining it, and he's bringing it into their conscious mind. But at that time, they were arguing about it. And so at verse 1 in Matthew 18, it says, At the same time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, of course, we would answer that today because we have hindsight. We'd say, well, I know who the greatest is. It's Jesus. Now, here's what Jesus is going to say, though, in addition to this. He called a little child unto him. Now, get the point. A little child. And he set him in the midst of them. Luke says he set him down beside him himself. So he set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, our hindsight tells us that our heart has to be open to the presence of Jesus. Our life has to be open to him. And somehow we have to open our heart so that he can come into our heart, into his kingdom. And in order to do that, we have to revert back to being a little child. That's what he says. You have to become a little child. He said, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you do this. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, he shall be greatest in the kingdom. Okay. Whosoever will receive one such little child in my name receives me. There it is. There it is. You become a little child and Jesus comes in. That's, that's how simple it is. Well, it's not really simple, is it? That's kind of a tough point, I think. Now, in Matthew or in Mark chapter 10, he actually went out and got a small child. Now, we'll find out how little the kid was in just a minute. But in Mark chapter 10 at verse 13, it says they brought little children to him, brought some little children to Jesus, infants, that he should touch them. Now, I know they're small because he lifts up one in his hand. His disciples rebuked those that brought them. See, they, they still didn't understand what he was talking about. He already told them, you, you've got to become a little child. Now they're rebuking him. Don't let these kids come up here. Jesus, when he saw it, was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer, little children, to come unto me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. You can't get in unless you become like a little child. Now, that should answer some of the questions we'd have about infant baptism. Why would you baptize a small child to turn him into the same thing he is anyway? That's what he's saying. You have to become as little as this little child, born again of water and spirit, 
Why would you, why would you baptize an infant? An infant doesn't even know what's going on when they're being so-called baptized. So that, that's the point, and we want to make sure that that's fairly clear. What he's doing, what baptism does is, number one, you respond to what Jesus said. Repent and be baptized. Water baptism. You're buried with Jesus in the water. You're, you're raised again to walk with him in newness of life. But the second thing that happens to you is your heart changes. You, you undergo a metamorphosis. You become, actually, a negamorphosis, I guess. You go back to where you were. You don't become a butterfly. You go back where you were to begin with. Then you start all over again. And that's what, he's, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, in order for you even to see the kingdom, that's what he told Nicodemus, before you can even see it, you have to experience a change in your heart before you can get in. That's one of the prerequisites. You know, we sometimes think, well, God is down here begging everybody, just pleading with them to please come to me. Basically, we should be pleading with him. Please let us in. We're the ones that want access to God. He knows who we are. He knows what's going on. And he, he makes the offer. He said, I'll, I'll let you in. I'll come into your life again if you will let me. But the only way you're going to let him is if you become a little child. How? Become a little child. You know what Jesus wants? Of you, he wants a blank page to write his story on. He wants you to come out as a blank. He doesn't want you to come in with all the baggage you've brought before you. He doesn't want you to come in with all the riches you've accumulated, with all the with all the uh, reputation that you can drag in behind you. He doesn't want you to come in with all the education you can show him, all the degrees that you have. You know what he wants? He wants you to come in as a blank page and he'll write his story on you. That's what he wants. He, he wants you to go back the way he, he started you out. He started you out as an infant, as a baby, as a child. The theme of a newborn infant is one in the New Testament that tells us this is how we start with God. Bill, going back and starting all over again. Now I'm going to I'm going to do something at this point, and I'm going to do something kind of like what Jesus did. Now, what I'm going to do is do something that that He's given me a pattern for. Now Jesus, when He was asked who's the greatest, and when He brought a little child in among them, He said, "Take a look at this." So He took the little child and says, "Take a look at this little child. That's how I want you to be." So, what does a little child look like? What does an infant look like? Well, I know if, if you've ever seen a baby, and if you've ever seen a baby growing, an infant, not just a newborn, but one that's coming along, you know several things about that baby. It has a sweet disposition. It smiles easily. Somebody said, you know, there's some things that money can't buy. And one of the things they said money can't buy is the smile of a child. The smile of a child. They have a sweet disposition. An infant does. And they have a sunny outlook on life. Everything is bright, prosperous, coming, glory, glorious to them. 
they're inquisitive, they want to know, they want to see, they want to reach up, they want to touch, they want to feel, they want to smell. They're, they're hungering. They're precious because they're innocent. Some of the things that have happened in the last 50 or 60 years in the movie industry, in the entertainment world is, that people have tried to make gory movies and, and scary scary uh, productions that, that will make the hair stand up on the back of your neck and on your arms and, and just give you chill bumps. And the way they do it is they portray infants as being demons, don't they? Chucky the doll, scary to death, because it's so, it's so incongruous that a, an infant would be evil. They're not evil, and they're not malicious. They're not mean-spirited. They're not ogres. You don't expect a child, a small child, to be mean, to be vicious, to carry an axe and try to kill people. But the movie industry says this is the way we can scare you because we can show you something that you would never, never in your lifetime suspect. Well, no, you wouldn't. That a, that a little guy could be evil. Well, little people are innocent. And it's precious to see that innocence. They have a forgiving attitude. You know, little guys can get in a fuss with each other. And you can say, uh-oh, their friendship's all over with. And an hour later, you can look at them, and they're playing like nothing ever happened. They just forgave each other, forgot all about it, and all off they go. They're enjoying each other's company. And they're pure in heart. There's nothing malicious about a, a little guy. Nothing. Nothing malicious about a child. You say, well, wait a minute. I know some, some kids that hold grudges. You know why they hold grudges? Because we teach them how to hold grudges. You say, well, I, that some, some, some of these kids are spoiled. You know why? They don't come spoiled. We spoil them. So we make them into our image. And whatever bad characteristics that a small child has, they learn from us. And you know what Jesus said about that? He said, if you offend, after he talked about the little child and his kingdom being part of, being represented by a little child. He said, if you offend one of these, it's better for you if a millstone were hanged about your neck and you were cast into the sea. You better not mess up this child or you'll answer for it. Train up a child in the way he should go, the wise man said, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Proverbs 22, verse 6. So if we train a child how to cuss, you're going to hear cuss words for the child. But he's not going to, learn, he's not going to do that by himself. He's going to learn that behavior. If you, can, if you teach him how to be selfish, he'll be selfish. If you teach him how to be mean and ornery and disrespectful to others, that's the way he'll be. But they don't come that way. They don't, they're not issued. God doesn't issue anything like that from himself. When you come into this world, you come sparkling clean. You're just a blank piece of paper to be written on, and you come with all the good qualities of humanity within your heart. You're guileless. You, you, you're not, uh, an infant doesn't have any underlying motives. An infant doesn't have 
any uh, double entendres in his speech. An infant is not acting subrosal in any way. An infant is not deceitful. They are what you see. They're exactly what you see. They're impressionable. Of course they're impressionable. Art Linkletter, some of you may have heard of the name Art Linkletter. Years ago, in the 60s, Art Linkletter was quite a guy. He was a, he was a radio announcer and he's a TV announcer and he was a, he was a guy that could speak impromptu. He just liked to chat and talk. And so they used him in the radio industry and the television industry. And he had upon a pretty good little, little notion one time. He used to, he used to have a program out of uh, Truth of Consequences, New Mexico. And he had a, had a cute program. But the one I really enjoyed by him was when he had children come. And he would talk to the little guys. And then he wrote a book. And his book was, Kids Say the Darndest Things. Okay. You know why? And if you read the book, it was a pretty nice little book, pretty cute little book. If you read the book, you'd read that kids are so innocent in what they say, and without guile, without malice, without, without any sneaky or betrayal sort of attitude, they just said what they saw. Kids say the darndest thing. Sure they do, because they're innocent. Now, we can get them to say some bad things, if we teach them bad things. But anyway, a child, sweet disposition, sunny outlook, innocent, so precious in their innocence, even hardened criminals look down upon their fellow inmates who are child molesters and abusers with disgust. They're the worst of the criminal element, those who take advantage of an innocent child. Well... They're innocent, they have a forgiving attitude, they're pure in heart, they're accepting, a child will accept you. They, they don't care what color you are, they don't care how big you are, how little you are, how ugly you are, how pretty you are, they don't care. They have no bias, they, they have no preference. A child is loving and giving. And they're impressionable, of course. They're accepting and they're tolerant of what we do. So now, if they're all of that, and they are all of that, then it's easy to understand when we talk about being great in the kingdom, it's easy to understand why God would say that type of an individual is great that has that type of heart. So, in Matthew chapter 11, at verse 11, Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. And he said, among those men born of women, there is not risen a greater than John the Baptist. However, he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Who is least in the kingdom of God? The pure in heart. The guileless. The innocent. The infant. That's the one who's greater than John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 5 at verse 20, here's another text that kind of makes you wonder, well, what, what's he saying? He said, except your righteousness shall exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter in the kingdom of God. Your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness 
of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, they were keeping the law. He said, but you could, who, who, is, who, who, who can be more righteous than the Pharisees who kept the law to the letter? The infant, the one who's born again, the one who's godless, the one who's without any disposition of heart that would keep them from others. You know what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 1 and 2? He said, wherefore, he said, lay aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies. Have you ever seen a, an infant that was hypocritical? <laughs> they are what they are. You, you, you see what they are and, and that's how they look. And envies and all evil speakings, he said, as newborn babes. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Okay, now, here's the point. The point is that when you come into Jesus Christ, you surrender yourself and you go back to your infancy in your heart. That's what you do. That being said, I think we can understand some of the other passages that we read in the New Testament that impact this particular point. In Matthew chapter 5, you know, most of you are familiar. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to this text because I'm going to show you something that I think is applicable here in what we're talking about. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is on a mountain and he's starting out a sermon or starting out his speech and he starts out by talking about what we call Beatitudes. Be attitudes. This is the attitude you ought to have. Now these beatitudes, I want to suggest to you, is the attitude of a newborn infant. A newborn infant. He's not talking about groups of people that he can see that have certain peculiar aspects in their lives. He's talking about those who come into the kingdom and start all over again as an infant, as a child. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who's more poor in spirit than a newborn child? Theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit. You know, another text says poor. Paul said, we brought nothing into this world. We're not going to take anything out. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. Can't, get, can't bring anything in. And as a matter of fact, Paul went ahead and said, in that same context, he says, uh, he says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So, and there's other texts that talk about in Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, I believe, verse 24, they, they, how hardly can those who are rich enter into the kingdom. So, when a child is born, they don't know whether they're rich or poor. They don't have any idea about wealth. They, you, you could say, well, okay, this baby born into, the, into this world, he's a prince. And he owns multitudes of estates. And he owns all this and all that. And he has so much wealth. But the kid doesn't know it. He doesn't know it. He has no idea whether he's got a dime or a penny. He has no idea. So when you come into the kingdom, you can't come in dragging your riches. How hardly shall they that are rich in this world enter into the kingdom? You, you can't buy your way in. The way you get into the kingdom is... You go back and say, riches don't mean anything. Don't mean anything to me. 
And he says, those that are poor, and actually Luke says, just poor, not poor in spirit, just poor. Well, why, what, do the, what do the poor people have to do with the kingdom? Really, nothing. Nothing. Except when you give everything up for Jesus Christ, and you accept the fact that it's not your riches that it's going to enhance you, that you, when you come in, you come in devoid of any idea that you're going to get wealthy or gain anything or have anything in the kingdom. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. When a, when a baby is uncomfortable, he cries. They're not, they're not crying out of malice or they're not crying out of hatred or animosity. They're crying because they're uncomfortable. They've got a tummy ache. They, they can't have a toothache because they don't have teeth. They've got a tummy ache. Something's wrong with them and they need to be comforted. When we come into the kingdom, there's something wrong with us. And that's why the Bible says repent. Repent. Be sorry for the sins you committed. Blessed are those that mourn. I'm sorry I did these things and it troubles me deeply. They shall be comforted. That's what he's talking about. Blessed are the meek. Have you ever seen an arrogant baby? I've never seen an arrogant child in my life. The only ones that I've seen that are arrogant are those that have been taught to be arrogant by their parents, taught how to think they're better than somebody else. But when you come into the kingdom as a child, as an infant, you can't come in with any arrogancy. You've got to go back to that time when you, when you came into this world and you were meek. Not, you didn't have anything to be proud of. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, babies are sponges for knowledge. They want to learn everything. They want to see everything. They want to experience everything. They want to find out everything. And, and uh, we're told that, and we know it for a fact, that child psychologists tell us that between the ages three and five, they can learn everything, just everything. They just accumulate. That's the most rapid time of learning of any time in our lives. We just learn everything. And you can teach a child language easily during that time and a little bit afterwards. They're sponges for knowledge. And so when you become a Christian and you're born again and your spirit has changed, your spirit has been touched by the Spirit of God, then you're anxious to find out all there is about God's world, about His will, His ways. You want, you, you, you're like a sponge. You want to absorb everything that He has for you. Hungering and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. Children are merciful. They're not malicious. You don't have to go to bed at night with a three-year-old in the next room thinking you're going to be massacred during the nighttime by that three-year-old. They're merciful. And if you do something to them, you know what? They'll forgive you. They're merciful. You can, you can apologize and you can go out of your way and you can tell them, honey, I'm sorry I did this and so forth. And the child will forgive you because they're merciful. And that's what he says we're, we're to be. That sort of person. Blessed are the pure in heart. Aren't, aren't little children pure in heart? He's saying, that's, he's, he's talking about people coming into the kingdom. That's exactly what he's talking about. The pure in heart. You're pure in heart when your sins are forgiven and you let Jesus come in and you kick out all the trash out of your lives. Blessed are the, those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. Well, when does that happen? 
You know, when, when you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you take the name of Jesus Christ on your lips, and when you believe that God is, and when you believe in all the wonders of the glorious universe around you, this world is going to tell you that you're a fool. That you just don't know what's going on. You have no idea. If you had any idea, you wouldn't be a Christian. You wouldn't believe in God. And so you're made fun of. You don't know enough. That's what, that's what the communists said for so long. They said that the religion is the opiate of the masses. People will look down upon and despise the person that claims that God loves them, God cares for them, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus is alive, Jesus can live in our hearts because it is a system of faith, and faith tells me that God loves me, that He cares for me, that He's my Father. These texts are talking about, I believe, the Beatitudes are talking about how you come into the kingdom. This is the attitude and disposition that you should have when you come into the kingdom. And that, maybe I should emphasize this a little bit. Not that you should try to gain them yourselves, but that when the Spirit of God touches your spirit, He can change you. And He can make your spirit. He can renew your spirit. We're, we're renewed by the Spirit of God. And that's, I believe that's what Paul or Peter was talking about when he said be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God touching your spirit. Now, let me, uh, let me read something for you that... Uh, I think goes along with what we're saying here, what I'm saying here, about how if you've never experienced going back into your childhood with Jesus, if you've never experienced that, you should. Because that's what Jesus said. You can't see the kingdom unless you get, you've got to get back there. You can't even get in the kingdom unless you get back there. You've got to be born again of water Baptism, that's the easy part. We can see that. We can do that. We can say, okay, we've got that done. How about, Lord, changing my spirit and making me like a child? How about making me feel innocence? How about making me feel pure? How about helping me to feel like I have no guile, no malice, no envy, no hatred, I need that. I need to feel like the child feels. In 1990, a fellow by the name of Robert Fulgram, Fulgram, I'm not probably not pronouncing that right. Let me spell it. F-U-L-G-H-U-M. Okay. He wrote a book, and it's called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. It's interesting. It is such an interesting book. And let me read just an excerpt from this. And this is basically, this started out as a book. I, I read this in 1990 and I just ran across it again. Here it, here it goes. He said, All I really need to know, I learned in kindergarten. All I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. 
These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and thank some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work some every day. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. Be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup. The roots go down, the plants go up, and nobody really knows how or why, but we're all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die, and so do we. And, when, and then remember the Dick and Jane books and the first word you learn, the biggest word of all, look. Everything you need to know is in there somewhere. The golden rule and love and basic sanitation, ecology and politics and equality and sane, and sane living. Take any of those items and extrapolate it into something sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family life or your work or your government or your will or your word and it holds true and clear and firm. Think what a better world it would be if all the world, the whole world, had cookies and milk about 3 o'clock every afternoon and then lay down with our blankets for a nap. Or if all governments had a basic policy to always put things back where they found them and to clean up their own mess. And it is still true, no matter how old you are, when you go out into the world, it is best to hold hands and stick together. Now, I, I like that point. All I ever needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. All I ever needed to know, I learned as an infant in Jesus Christ. You know, you may need to go back and start all over again. If you have not felt what you should feel as an infant in Jesus Christ. We need to start out right, and if we didn't start out right, maybe we need to go back and start again as an infant.